Hello, and welcome to First to 15, the official podcast of USA Fencing. I'm your host, Brian Wendell, and in this show, you're going to hear from some of the most inspiring, interesting, and insanely talented people in this sport we all love. First to 15 is for anyone in the fencing community, and even for those just checking out fencing to see what it's all about. So whether you're an Olympian or Paralympian, a newcomer, a seasoned veteran, a fencing parent, a fan, or anyone else in this wonderful community, this podcast is for you. With that, let's get to today's episode. Enjoy! Today's guest is Georgina Love, a foil and epee fencer from Central Florida. Georgina, who's fondly known as George, recently showcased her tenacity at the North American Cup in St. Louis in April, where she won gold medals in both the Vet 60 Women's Foil and the Vet 60 Women's Epee events. And in that final foil bout, she was down 5-0 and then turned that into a 10-9 victory over the reigning world champion. Now, George's journey to the pinnacle of fencing has been anything but conventional. Her passion for the sport was ignited in 2001 when she discovered a local rec center fencing class in Florida. For seven years, she honed her skills there until that program was closed, but her dedication to the sport remained unscathed. She kept pushing her boundaries, competing in tournaments, loving every minute. And then in 2015, she took over her local fencing club, which helped ensure the survival of her of the sport in her area. And she began training with uh, Coach Daniel Bucher in Melbourne, Florida. Now, this partnership has led her to new heights in the fencing world. We're excited to, to chat about that. And of course, apart from being a skilled fencer, George is a woman of many talents, an oil painter, horse rider, museum worker who installs exhibits. So there's a lot to talk about. We're going to dive into all that and more with George. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here and really appreciate you taking the time to do an interview. Yeah, this is exciting. Well, and there's a lot of ground to cover as as hinted at by that intro, but I'm really interested in that initial exposure to fencing in 2001. You saw an ad for fencing. What made you say, okay, point at that, I'm going to try that? Well, the funny thing is, is all my life, I have had this knowledge that fencing existed. That was about it. I'd never seen movies. I didn't play with swords. I didn't do any of that. I just knew it was there. And I remember actually going to school in New York and walking by a fencing club, looking in the window, thinking, oh, look, fencing, that's kind of cool. But I never did anything about it. So I saw the ad uh, for the rec center and I said to my husband, you know, I've always wanted to do that. And he said, well, go do it. And so I took a lesson and I am the least athletically coordinated person in the world. And I took this first lesson, but I really liked the instructor. He was a, an epee fencer and he had competed earlier on and he was doing these foil lessons at the local rec center to keep his finger and his kids had fenced, he'd competed, that sort of thing. And I did my first lesson and I don't know what I was doing, but I loved it and I liked him. And I kept going week after week after week. I had no idea what I was doing, but, <laughs> but it was seven years of torturing this poor man with my incompetence. It was really a hot mess. And we didn't compete. We didn't do anything, really. We just had two and a half to three hours of footwork and hand drills and that sort of thing. But I loved it. And he said, you're never really going to get anything out of it unless you compete. Okay. As you said earlier, the program ended and I thought, yeah, I don't, who needs it? But I missed it. So I joined the local club and just carried on there. So there was just something about it that partly it was the discipline, even though I didn't know what I was doing. I liked the discipline of it and I enjoyed the people. 
And then I did my first competition. It was a little exhibition. We did a dry tournament down in Fort Lauderdale. A bunch of us from the club went down. And that first day I competed there, I thought, I like this competition part. And that was it. And after that, I, I started going to local competitions here in Florida. And the odd thing was that I showed horses and I I had some success, but no consistency and nerves got in the way. And I had problems with the horse showing part. We were showing on cattle and it was just, it was rough. And with fencing, for some reason, it felt just better. I was just more at ease. And I felt like you were instantly part of the group, which I really liked. I never felt that no matter what silly thing you did out there, that people were laughing at you or whatever, because you sure learned to laugh at yourself when you fence too. But I always felt like you were instantly part of the community, which I really liked. I really enjoyed the people part of it too. I find that interesting, the the length of time between that first class and your first tournament. Obviously, you were doing some sparring, I imagine, some practice bouts in there. But I just love the the thought that this whole time your your skills were building and building and building. And was there never an urge to say, you know what, I, I keep hearing about these regional tournaments, these knacks. I want to go try that. Or No, I was clueless. I had no idea. I had no idea because really my my skills weren't that good. I just went through them. I mean, I'm telling you, I really struggled with it. It didn't come easily to me. And I never knew about competition. I didn't even think about it. And that first little exhibition one, like I say, was a lot of fun. And my instructor at that time that was at the second club, my coach said, oh, there's one in Miami this fall. You should go. I said, okay. (laughs) And I bought all my electric stuff and I went. And it was one of those ignorance is bliss things because I went and I remember I did the women's, I did the D and under, and I think I finished fifth that day in the D and under with 22 people. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) It just worked out, but I really liked it. It was just so much fun. I didn't even have my weapon taped right. As a matter of fact, Anne-Marie Walters was there. It's the first time I had met her. And she's the reigning world champion, actually, just so you have that right. Oh, yes. Yeah. So she was there and she said, you got to tape that weapon. (laughs) Didn't you have tape on my weapon? You're like, okay, that's good to know for the future. Yeah, (laughs) I'm telling you, I I just, it was just like plopped in from outer space. (laughs) For people who may not know this world, when you say like a dry tournament, a non-electric, that one in 2009, what exactly does that mean? In 2009, that was we were invited by Hollywood Saber down in Fort Lauderdale to just to come and fence and show people a foil tournament, and so none of us had electric gear really because for that because we didn't our club wasn't competing at that time nobody was going to competitions, and so we just went down there with no electric and we just did a non-electric little demonstration tournament. But we went through the whole thing, did the pools, did the DEs, the whole thing. It was just dry, not electric. And the next tournament I went to, which that was, I think, in July, the next tournament, the real tournament that I went to was that fall, where obviously it was a proper sanctioned tournament, so you had to have all your goodies. So I just had to get everything and go. When you started competing and going to more and more tournaments, did you find yourself in the minority in the sense that you started fencing in your early 40s, if my math is correct, whereas some of the some of the other competitors maybe had fenced as kids and then taken a break and, and come back into the sport? 
Well, that was only after I did my first veteran event, and I can't remember when that was. I'd have to look it up. But I was fencing locally, and of course, at 42, I'm fencing teenagers and young adults. And it was it was right. So it was just local. I had no idea what I was going to go up against with the vets. And I was at a tournament in Orlando and Mary Mahone, the local regional, and I think she's a national, international director from here in Florida, she came up to me and said, oh, you should do the vet circuit. And I said, sure, that sounds like a good idea. And I was in my 50s then. And I remember telling my husband, and he said, are you out of your mind? He said, those people are, you know, experienced and this and that. And that's when I realized when I first started going, I'd look at these lists of 25, 26 women, and I'm thinking, I should do okay. Well, no, they were former NCAA people and, you know, Olympians and almost Olympians and national team members. And I had no idea that that's what I was going to be fencing. And there are some other women who started late, but I just didn't know what I was going to jump into. But I I had a blast there with it. I just showed up and and fenced and tried to have a good time. And how about the the community aspect too? Because that's the the element of vet fencing that the competition is fierce. And when those masks go on, it's go time for sure. But when they come off, I just am always struck by it's like a community. And were you welcomed into that community pretty much right away? Yes, I will say I was. I have really good memories of of Anne-Marie Walters again, I'll say, because she's local. I fence her here every once in a while and, and we see each other in South Florida. Of course, I didn't like going a thousand miles and having to see her at the table of 16, but that's another story. I remember very well my very first the very first summer nationals I qualified for, as a matter of fact, I went to a qualifier here in Florida and there were 11 women. It was a nice, strong event. And I lost in the semifinal and I thought I was out. They were only going to take the top three people. And they said, no, no, you have to fence off for third place. And I thought, oh, well, I want this. And I won. So I was able to go to the nationals. And I remember very good memories of Anne-Marie taking me around and introducing me to people saying, this is George. This is her first time here. And she's going to come do the events now. And yeah, it was immediate welcome. That's awesome. Yeah. And everybody's not everybody's best friend, and that's fine. We all make our friends, but it's an interesting dynamic. And what I find fascinating is how, like you say, uh, the masks are on, it's fierce competition, yet we're all rooming together. We're helping each other out. I see the vets, somebody just took you out, but then that loser of that event is sitting there in the coaching box helping the guy who just beat him beat the other fella. I love that. I think it's really great. And every time you you come back to one of these tournaments, you know, it may have been a few months since you've seen some of some of the competitors, but I imagine you can just dive right back in as if no time had passed. You do. It's it's really incredible. Even after this COVID chasm where we didn't see each other for a long time, it was just like time had never stopped. And I really enjoy that part of it because again, we're all not close and intimate friends, but there's a really nice camaraderie with everybody. And it's so nice seeing the familiar faces. And especially when you go overseas and all that and hear the people you fence at home, and now you're at another venue and you're on another side of the world. Yeah, exactly. That's, it's just, it opens so many doors. So looking back on April with your double gold, obviously that's proof that your fencing story is still being written, but I'm wondering if you have a proudest moment so far in your competition career. Well, I would say that one of the most exciting and proud things was my very first time going to the world championships. I qualified in 2016 for that season, and we went to Germany. And I was 
frankly, just overwhelmed by the whole thing. It was so exciting. But then I remember sitting there looking at all these brackets and thinking, wow, this is just, what am I doing here with all these people? And anyway, I did well enough in the individual event to make the team event. I was ecstatic. In the interim, however, I had tripped and fallen outside the venue and hurt my left shoulder pretty badly where the doctor there was saying things about x-rays. I said, no, 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 we're good. I'm just going to put some ice on it. So the following day we had to fence team. My shoulder was killing me, but I was not scratching. I made it this far. I was not going to scratch. I could barely move my arm. So we had to fence the Hungarians and we had to fence the Russians. Well, my very first international event, my very first bout is with the gold medalist from the individual event, Ms. Chernov from Russia. And I'm thinking, wow. And my team captain said, go in there and don't engage, do what you have to do. Well, the time goes on. And to be honest with you, my teammates had seen me do plenty of not good fencing along these past few years. And I'm sure that they did not have any confidence and thought, how are we going to get ourselves out of this hole? And when the three minutes were up, I had beaten her 5-1 in the first encounter. And ultimately, through all the encounters we had, I was able to keep her out and at bay, which allowed us to get to the finals with the French, where we took the silver medal. And I was very happy to not have let my team down and done what I needed to do to get us to the finals. And the ultimate goal there was to get there and do that. So I felt great about not letting my team down. And I think they, it was so funny because then they changed their tune because then I could do no wrong. <laughs> They were, they were happy with everything I did. But also, I remember the Russian side just being so frustrated that somehow they just couldn't get past me. I don't know how it happened, but I remember picking my arm up saying, well, you know, when you get on the strip, the pain is my shoulder hurt so much. And I just said, uh, willpower and, and uh, adrenaline, let's do it. Right. Maybe not what your doctor would have recommended in that moment, but obviously it worked out. No. However, I did realize that they're always telling you to relax your shoulders when you fence. And since I couldn't use my shoulder, I think I fenced much better. <laughs> I think that's what I think that's what helped me. It's a disguised blessing there. Yes, it was. So George, before that tournament, did you have a sense of the the scale of vet fencing at the international level? Because that would have been your first exposure to it, right? Yes. I remember clearly sitting on the bench, looking at the brackets up on the board going, Italy, Germany, Hungary, Russia. Oh my God. I was overwhelmed. I think that's really interesting. And the fact that there is an international community of, of vet fencers as well. So you may not see them as often, but that's, again, it's it's not as if, you know, you're bitter rivals with every single country that you face, right? You, uh, I imagine there's some friendships that are that are formed across borders, so to speak. Right. And I think that mutual respect and, and all that. And I'll remember another fond memory I have of that event is when I was leaving, Ms. Chernoff was on the other side of the gate there. And she made a, a particular effort to, as I was going to catch my eye, look at me, wave and shook my hand like that was a great bout. And getting that respect from somebody is also a nice thing. Yeah, that's that's true. It's like at first they might have said, who is this woman? We, we got her. And then they quickly realized they... It maybe didn't. So I, I love that story. Yeah, it was one of my favorite times. Uh, so like I say, I was really happy to keep the team where it needed to be to help to do my part. You want to be on a team and you want to do your part. Yeah, there's that added pressure when it's not just yourself that that you're potentially letting down, you know, if something goes wrong out there. So we we talked in the intro about taking over your local fencing club in, in 2015. Can you tell us more about that journey? Because now all of a sudden you're 
you're also the proprietor of, of a fencing club and helping introduce other people to the sport. Right. That was a little bit of a surprise. My coach who had run that club, he was he just loved fencing. He fenced in college. He was a saber fencer for he just loved the sport. He wanted everybody to fence. And he'd had the club at that point for I think about six or seven years, if I'm not wrong. It might have been longer. And I was going to his club three, four times a week. And we had a nice bunch of youth and I was probably the oldest fencer. It was mostly youngsters. Anyways, he died suddenly in January of 2015. And I thought what are we going to do? And then I decided, well, I'm just going to take over the club because if I don't do that, we won't have any fencing here. And so we struggled around a little bit and we stayed in the place that we were in, but I ultimately had to move and find another club. So now it's basically carrying on what he started. And I don't forget that either because he always believed in me as well. And we try to keep his memory alive. I have a scholarship that I give to the kids at the end of the school year. There's somebody who's graduating and has done, say, volunteered at the club, helping with camp, been coming, improved a lot, been a real champion of the club, so to speak. And I like to give them a little cash scholarship in Ken's memory and try to keep that alive. And basically, it's just keeping his legacy alive. But turning that into, I can't just have the doors open and have a free-for-all. I've actually got to teach these kids something. So we take them and start them all off. And it is just I understand now why my coach liked to, he coached more than he fenced. And I always said, don't you miss fencing? Don't you want to fence? And he'd play with us here and there. And he went to a couple of knacks, but he really enjoyed the coaching part of it. And now that I do it, and I don't really call myself a coach, I'm an instructor and the, the club owner, and but I want to teach these, these kids. But there's a great deal of satisfaction when I see these kids improving just getting a grip of what they're doing, Say, taking some kids maybe who are shy, who when they put that mask on, they go for it. They have a total change in personality. I hear from the parents that they're improved in school, they're improved in focus. It is all around extremely satisfying. And it's what because I think anybody who runs a club or a small business like that knows that the paycheck is definitely not there. And it's not a paying job, but the payback is helping these kids to fence and realize that this activity is good for them all around. It teaches them a lot and watching them succeed and having excitement when they get something done on the strip is really, that's the pay. It's great. And especially to think that that the club might have closed, right, without some intervention. It would have closed. Nobody was there to take it over and nobody was really in the position. Fortunately, I wasn't, I was only working part-time and it just worked out. But I mean, I'm down there three days a week, no matter what. And it's ongoing classes and knock on wood, I don't catch a cold or anything like that because we just have to keep on going. And at the time when my coach was running the club, we had some youngsters competing, but right now we don't have that many people. We don't have anybody really competing. So it's mostly younger and young teens. But very satisfying. I really enjoy it. And we try to have little tournaments. I'm having one this Saturday, as a matter of fact, for the kids to come and bow. And it's nice to see their competitive juices get going because everybody wants that medal. Sure. Yeah. It keeps it interesting and keeps it fresh. So how does that balance out with your own fencing and being able to find time to practice with your, your own coach? It's really hard. And that's why sometimes I have to say, I have to remind myself I'm pleased with my results, even at the onset when things weren't going totally my way. I was pleased with what I could accomplish to some extent because of the time I have, which is very limited. I go for my lessons once a week. I have to drive an hour to get to Coach Bukur's place. He's up in Melbourne. 
And I have some push at club, but not not as much. I mean, I'm not in a club like Fencer's Club or something or Bluegrass where you've got a huge cadre of high-level people to fence with. I don't have that. I have the kids I have to instruct, and then you have to turn from instructor mode to fencer mode, which isn't easy. I have a couple of vet fencers who are good and give me a little push. So it's it's pretty hard. I mean, I've got to be hitting the pad or doing that sort of thing. I don't have as much quality fencing time to work on my skills as I wish I did. But I'm just going to say, but that said, I have to say that you become who you are because of every single person you've encountered. And I take that with the nine-year-olds I teach up to the champions I fence at NAC. Every single person has made me who I am and along the way. So I, I don't discount any of it either. Sure. Yeah. You're building on on every experience along the way. So how is it working with Coach Bakur and how has, has he maybe elevated your your game over your time working together? Well, he's helped me immensely. In 2015, before I won that gold in Baltimore, I had been struggling with my fencing in that I realized I was just having fun is, is, is fine. And it isn't only about winning, as we know, because you don't win all the time. But I felt like I could not give my opponents a challenge. And that really bothered me. It bothered me that I would get on the strip. And if I won, I won. If I lost, I lost. I had no idea what was going on. But worse than that, I wouldn't challenge my opponent. I didn't know how. So I realized I needed help. And Coach Bakura was really the closest one to me also. I couldn't go to Miami or Orlando. I just couldn't. He was in Melbourne. And I, I asked him if he would take me on. And he agreed. And that time, his his club was called Genesis. He'd been there at that point for about five or six years up in Melbourne. So I started with him. And he, of course, has a very good history. He was he was poised to go on the Olympic team. He was a high-level junior fencer in Romania, you know, very skilled. And so he knew his his business. Well, I started with him, and it was really hard at the beginning because I had to break some habits. I had to force myself to not do what I had been doing. And it was difficult. However, he, over the years, he just knew what I needed all the time and would keep me going and feeding me the information as I needed it. And most importantly, teaching me about strategy and tactics where I had none. And so not only were my skills lacking because I didn't have the kind of fundamentals that somebody who starts with their 10 and then fences through high school and college and does all that, has. I had nothing to fall back on. I just had what I was doing and staying alive with. I had success here in Florida. And at that point, I had been doing the knacks, but just I was always a bridesmaid. I couldn't break into eight. I just couldn't do it. I'd be 10th, 11th, 9th. And it was just so frustrating. And after I learned about what to do and when to do it and honed my skills and got a little more educated about what was going on. He was really very, very forthcoming with his knowledge, which has been fantastic. And now it's a it's a Space Coast uh, fencing, and that's what his club is known now. And he's just expanded my horizons in decision making and strategies. Where sometimes, maybe physically, I can't do what I need, but mentally, I can. And that has been just enormous for me. Enormous that at least I can make a decision and. Well, if I lost, then I knew why perhaps it wasn't the right decision or perhaps I didn't execute it properly. But instead of standing there going, well, I lost, too bad, I've got much more to think about that way. So I have him to thank for teaching me how to fence. And in a sense, I would imagine that that 
relationship with your coach requires a bit of patience in the sense that when you do feel like you have a new skill that you want to try, you've got to wait to actually experience the next tournament to be able to test some of these things. Am I, is that an accurate way to say it? it? It seems like you're like, I want to try this right this weekend. Absolutely. Well, you do. You learn it. And again, I seriously, I, I told him at the onset, I said, I really struggle with drills. I struggle with patterns. I, I struggle with certain things. It's not easy for me. And I need a lot of repetition. So we do these things. And he would told me too, he says, you have to be patient. In fact, when I started with him, he said, it was November of 2015. And he said, you're going to have to be patient. He says, you're not going to see any results for months. So, okay. And I said, you know what? I haven't had results for nine years. You think a few, a few months is going to bother me? It's not. It's <laughs> a good answer. It's true because you learn a move. So immediately I try to keep it in my head. And my next session at my club is Wednesday night where I have adults. And I say, okay, okay, I gotta, I've got to try whatever he showed me. And then I've got to apply it at club because I may not have an event to go to. So I've got to try and practice it there or I'll tr- practice it. There are people I fence at his club. So that's good too. But I only have one or two foilists up there. His club is more dedicated to Epe. And I just practice my foil things he's taught me with whoever I can. But it is hard because you get it and then you have to execute. And your opponent is not your coach. They're not going to be executing, helping you execute. They're helping to, they want to hit you. (laughs) Yes, yes. So when you look back in the the history of fencing, there were a lot more two-weapon fencers. And it, it seems more rare these days. So I was really struck by the fact that you were able to get a gold medal in in two different weapons in in April, as we mentioned. I guess as someone who's not uh, you know an experienced fencer, my confusion there is how do you keep them them straight and make sure you you know which tactics you want to apply to which situation, seeing as you've basically doubled the complexity for yourself. Well, initially, I thought that that would be a problem, and frankly, I had really focused on foil throughout my fencing. The first instructor I had was an epaist, and he showed me a couple things here and there, but I didn't fence any epa. And then what happened is the club, like I say, in Melbourne, they they do the epa up there. And so while he would be instructing, Coach Booker is instructing his epaist, I'm listening in the background to what he's talking about. And what happened was all of a sudden I thought, oh, wait a minute, this is an interesting game. And then I thought, well, you should do Epe just because here in Florida, when I'm fencing, I fence the open events. Now, the open events here are tough because you've got young men, teenagers, college boys. It's a struggle for me sometimes to stay, you know, in 16 or even get to eight just because the competition's very stiff. It's deep. And so I go to have fun and do my best, whatever. But the problem was with my B rating, I could only do the open. I had nothing else to do. So I'm driving three and a half hours to fence an event and then I'm done. And I thought, you know what? I need to do some epe. Why not? I was doing a little saver, but I don't have anybody to practice. That's just for strictly for fun. So I thought I should do epe. So just before COVID shut everything down, I did an event in Tampa. I did my, I thought I'd take my epe and I'll go fence. And it was a good day because- I think I earned my E that day. So it was it was pretty good. So then I was set to do, I thought, you know what? I'll do Epe at NAC. Why not? It's a good warm up for foil. That's basically how I did. I don't take any Epe lessons. I just decided to do it. So what happened was the COVID happened. So no Epe for me at NAC. And the first event I think I had was right when we started fencing again. And I think I only did one event. And then last season, I did 
all the events. And basically, I did them as a warm-up for foil because I looked at it this way. I'm fencing. I'm on the strip. I'm using distance and, and tactics. Yes, it's a little bit different because of no right-of-way. You don't want to get hit. But I, I began to really enjoy the chess game. I really, really like the mental game of Epe. I love it. And it's not hard to keep it separate because I have to think differently, both of them. You think differently, yet you think the same. It's, it's a kind of a confusing answer, but I, I figured, well, the Epe should help my foil because you got to parry, so <laughs> you don't want to get hit. And so, like I say, I just kind of did it because it was, I don't want to dismiss it because I really like it and was surprised that I did well enough in it. I, it it kind of surprised me. I finished 2022, the last season, I believe seventh in the field all around. So I was pretty happy with that. So it's not a problem keeping it straight. I thought I'd have a problem with it, but I, I don't. And I know that they really would like you to focus on one weapon if you really want to excel. I know it's extremely difficult for anybody to have great success in both weapons because you really have to focus on, even at a world level, you don't see that. Yeah. So one thing I love about fencing is that the benefits extend beyond fencing, right? Beyond tournament results. So I'm, I'm curious if you've seen ways that fencing has affected your life in positive ways outside of the competition and, and the physical aspects. It has for a lot. The club satisfaction aside, I would say for me, it's helped me feel more confident about things I do. It gives you a, a nice feeling of accomplishment, just that carries in through your life that you feel like you can just carry yourself better and just do what you set out to do because the hard work here pays off. You learn that it's the same as life. You, If you put the work in, hopefully things work out, but you have to be able to accept it when it doesn't work out. And I think that's what fencing teaches the kids too. This is life. You can work hard and have everything go your way, but then oop, at the end, it doesn't. And you have to learn to be humble about it and learn to accept the challenges better. It's made me patient. Three things in life have made me patient, breaking horses, fencing, and painting. There's no rush. You cannot hurry any of this up. And I'm not a patient person. Everybody wants results now, and that's me. I want it extra now. So it has helped me kind of calm down a little bit and realize that some days you have a bad practice. You can't hang on to bad things. You have to let it go. And you can't really hang on to the good things that much either. You have to remember them as good moments. However, I do feel that fencing also teaches you it's a what have you done for me today sport because whatever you've done in the past, even if it was three weeks ago, well, that's great. But well, what about the next time? So there's that constant renewal of what you need to do. But I think it has it has just shown me that things can be accomplished where that's not always been easy for me to believe. So something like painting, you you can show your friends who don't paint, this is what I've been up to. And they can say, okay, I understand that. But fencing, how do you explain to your non-fencing friends your passion for the sport and the fact that you know, you're out there winning gold medals? And do they understand? Yes and no. I think a lot of them are surprised perhaps maybe that I'm doing it at my age. But I said, well, you should see these women. Uh, my, my competitors are fierce and they're all, they're all pretty intense too. So that's not unusual. I think that it's hard because, for example, I might tell one of my friends I'm going for my lessons and they say, you're still taking lessons? I said, yeah, you're always taking lessons because it's, you know, that old joke about by the time you learn everything about fencing, you're too old to do it because <laughs> there's just so much and you're constantly, I find every single time I go for a lesson with my coach, 
I come away with some new bit of information every single time. I have never gone up there and not come away going, well, that was worth the drive. I learned something new today. It's funny because people might want to come watch. You know what it's like when non-fencers come, oh, I want to come see you about. They do it once. Everybody's got their poison and that's fine with me. It's okay if they don't understand. Everybody's got their passion with whatever it is. I don't understand football. They don't understand fencing. But I do wish, in saying that though, I do wish that the sport got more recognition because I think that once you understand a sport, it makes it so much more compelling to watch. I can see the relationships now that I've learned about strategy and tactics. I can, not that I'll sit through hours and hours of soccer, but I can watch some soccer and say, wow, that's like a fencing setup. Look what they're doing. Or I can watch tennis and say, oh yeah, that's what you do on the strip. You know, you can relate what's going on. So I wish that somehow the public could see what an exciting sport it is because it it really is. But I think it's lack of Lack of education, you know, they'll put the Olympics on and they'll show saber. And if you ask anybody, did you watch the Olympics? Oh, yeah, I watch these two guys run at each other and hit. They have no idea how difficult it is in a right-of-way sport, and especially with the speed of saber, for example, to get that touch or that parry repost. And there's as much excitement in, in an epi. I just watched some of the women fence at the most recent World Cup. And it's so exciting, but people just don't know. And I think it's, it's too bad. I don't know how that can change. No, I hear you for sure. And that's also a pathway to get more people at all ages, but also more vet fencers involved, people trying it for the first time in their their 40s like you did. Right. So, George, as we wrap up here, what's kind of next for you? We've got the, you know, vet worlds coming up in Daytona in October. What are some of your goals for your fencing for the rest of the year and beyond? Well, I would just like to keep on doing what I'm doing. Every bout is its own bout. I've got to focus on each bout one touch at a time, which is what I had to do fencing Jeanette. She's a formidable opponent in that final. Everything's one touch at a time. Everything you do is one touch at a time. And I would just like to carry on here. I hope to do well at the Worlds. I'm very, very excited that I qualified in both foil and epee. I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And it boggles the mind because I never in a million years what I have imagined. I used to joke with the, my first instructor about, I couldn't remember a Perry 4 to a Perry 6 from one week to the next. And I'd say, well, whatever happens. And, you know, every every two years I'll get a Perry repost. I don't know. And then to find myself here, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm humbled. I'm excited. Um, you know, support from my husband, putting up with my long hours away, you know, running club, taking lessons, all this. I just want to carry on and do it while I'm able to. And I'm looking to fence again next year and just try to keep doing these as well as I can do, improve, have fun, no matter what it brings and enjoy the sport as much as I can. I'll have to say that it has been, fencing has made the last 20 years of my life, even when I didn't know what I was doing, it has been, I don't know what my life would be without it. I really don't. I really just, even a bad day, I still love it. When I lost in Croatia at my first elimination, I sat down and I thought, who can I sell all this to? (laughs) (laughs) And if somebody had said to me, oh, you know, the NAC deadline's tomorrow, you better sign up. I would have said, I'm not going. But you have to shake it off. I was so, I was despondent. I was ready to go. I felt good and I lost. It was just one of those days. And, And it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody. And it's okay. You shake it off, and the next day you calm down, and you watch everybody else, and you cheer for. We had some good Florida results at the Worlds, and you cheer for the other people, and you carry on. And that's all I want to do. I just want to carry on and have a good time, and challenge my opponents, and challenge my opponents more and more, and just keep going. 
And this time we should say it's on home soil and really close to home soil for you. It's very, it's two hours. For you. That's that's going to be great. Daytona Beach, for those who don't know, is is the site of this year's FIE Veteran World. So what a great time for you to have qualified in two weapons. Well, it's true. And a part of it is, of course, I love to travel. I'd like to go overseas with it all. But on the other hand, it's going to be nice not to have to drag an Epe and foil across the, across the pond. I can only have to drive it up a couple of hours. So that part's going to be nice. I'm looking forward to a good turnout with it. It'll be exciting to have everybody here. And I've scheduled my work time off, so I'm happy about that. So it's going to be great. And those friends who maybe don't quite understand what you're doing, well, come watch me, right? Come watch me against the world's best. Exactly. They may. Well, we keep saying all those people who say they want to come and watch, well, here's your chance. Let's see. And I don't expect, because it'll be four events. I hope four events. I don't know. It'll be individual team, individual team. So it's ultimately four events. We'll see how it goes. And hopefully I can fence, I'll be fencing in two of them. It'd be nice if I can fence in more of them. We'll see how it shakes out. And I'll just keep working hard. We'll be there to cheer you on from all of us at USA Fencing. Well, I just want to say thanks so much, George, for joining us on the podcast. This has been a great conversation and getting to hear some of your story. Thank you. And we'll be rooting you on this season and beyond. Great, great. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to First to 15, the official podcast of USA Fencing. We'll be back with our next conversation in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on all the latest fencing news by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you like this podcast, please help us grow and reach more people by leaving us a rating or review. Until next time, I'm Brian Wendell, and I hope to see you real soon out on the strip. Bye. Bye.